Welcome to Theatrically Speaking, almost a playwriting podcast. My name is Jonah Knight. Theatrically Speaking is a part of the Actual Story Podcasting Network. Learn more about this show and others over at actualstorypodcasting.com. If you have a playwriting question, if you would like to suggest a topic, or if you have a play that you would like feedback on, visit actualstorypodcasting.com to send us a message. This week we are talking about science fiction, fantasy, and horror on stage. I'm joined by playwrights Edward Einhorn and Michael Cooper. Both have had plays produced with these elements, giving them insight into writing and production. Links are in the show notes. My name is Michael Cooper, also known as Michael Thomas Cooper. I'm a playwright and novelist out of Portland, Oregon. Um, 2008, I had a short play accepted um, at the Humana Festival produced by um, Actors Theatre of Louisville. After that, Samuel French ended up publishing a collection of uh, short plays of mine. I've also served on the board of directors of Willamette Writers, as well as Portland Area Theatre Alliance, and currently live in France. Hi, uh, my name is Edward Einhorn. I'm a playwright, director, also an opera librettist. I uh, write a lot of science fiction work in all those forms. Uh, my latest is called Amabea. It is going up starting August 13th in here in New York. Uh, also, I've done a lot of adaptations like Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep and The Lathe of Heaven and um, Deck London's The Iron Heel, which was also an audio drama podcast. Um, and in my fiction work, it tends to be in children's fantasy, things like Paradox and Oz. Uh, and even in opera, I did a, a opera called uh, The Boy Who Wants to Be a Who Wanted to Be a Robot, which is in the science fiction uh, world. Um, I have been running my theater company in New York, Untitled Theater Company Number Sixty One, uh, for twenty five years. Thank you both for coming on today and uh, and talking about science fiction, fantasy, and horror in theater. Thank you very much. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I guess my first question is because science fiction, fantasy, and horror seem to be story genres that are maybe uh, less seen in theater, probably for a variety of reasons. And I guess just to start with, I'm wondering what the first play of this type that you saw was and, and what the impact was that it had on you. Uh, Michael, would you like to go first? Yeah. I mean, the first one was, um, you know, like in fourth grade or something. And then it was the classic dragon one with a knight and stuff. And the kid that was playing the, um, the hero he was supposed to jump through a paper window, right? So he does that, but on the other side, there was an actual window. And so he actually went into the window and broke the glass, cut his leg, blood everywhere. They had to stop the, um, stop the production and stuff. And it's like, oh, that's what theater should be. It's like not what everybody expects. It should be something different and there's some blood and this and that. And so I guess anytime I write, or any, I think anybody that should write, is if you know where the play is going, probably there's a few in the audience that know where it's going to. And if you can surprise yourself, you're going to surprise the audience. And so that was one of the biggest lessons I had. And it's it stuck with me for all these years. Um, and I, I guess a lot of my stuff is also absurdist in, the, in that sense. It's like, oh, this is what people expect. Let's go a different route. So, yeah. yeah. Edward, do you remember the first sci-fi fantasy horror play that you saw? 
<laughs> well, so, you know, I define a lot of things in the sci-fi fantasy horror genre that some people don't as traditionally define. Uh, so I'm going to say, we, when I was pretty young, I saw the play Rhinoceros, uh, Ionesco's Rhinoceros, and um, it's not thought of as sci-fi because of absurdism, but it was seemed pretty clearly science fiction to me in a world where there was a plague where every turns people into rhinoceroses. Uh, and so um, I really loved that connection because I was a big fan of uh, science fiction, uh, you know, to begin with. And it's probably what drew me into absurdist type theater is that a lot of them live in these sort of uh, speculative world. Um, even if you look at uh, Waiting for Godot, it really feels like a you know post-apocalyptic landscape that we're in. Uh, so, um, so I really loved that sort of work. Um, I I'm not quite sure what the first one that self-identified was. Um, I. Uh, there were pieces like uh, Carol Churchill's A Number, which I, I quite liked. Um, and then there was uh, Alan Eckborn wrote a few science fiction pieces that are sort of very consciously science fiction. Um, but it was, um, it was the, the fact that I've just sensed science fiction everywhere. And I guess that's probably this uh, a parallel to the way the genre uh, evolved in literature. You know, there was a time where people started calling it science fiction, but there was time like, you know, Gulliver's Travels was being written, and that's clearly a fantasy uh, book, mm -hmm. but nobody was calling it fantasy in those days. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Jules Verne was all adventure, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, so I guess when we talk about, when we talk about sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, it seems to me that there's a dividing line with horror, like uh, that science fiction fantasy, maybe there are different ways to approach it with theater. So I think I'd like to just start there for a second. We'll get to horror in a minute. But um, I guess I wonder if there's something about telling a story that is focused on science fiction and fantasy and telling that story in a live theater setting, if that has particular resonance rather than as a novel or as a screenplay even, I guess, Michael, why why write a science fiction fantasy play? Well, I think um, one of the nice things about putting it in a different context than what people perceive as what's normal is you can attack an issue or a problem or whatnot from a different angle and so people are maybe perhaps a little more um, accepting of maybe being a little more critical of it because it's outside their everyday normal experience. And so I'm, I'm always of the, um, what is that, the Mary Poppins, a, a spoonful of sugar. So if you're trying to, you know, make it an issue thing and tell people what to do or, or not necessarily what to do, but, you know, give them a different angle of the um, issue is if you put it in a different setting, then they're liable to be a little more... Um, accommodating to a different viewpoint than what may be theirs, if that makes sense. Um, and I think it's also just as far as from a writing standpoint, you're looking at it um, through a whole set of different eyes and stuff, and it's a whole different problem set to solve than if you yourself are so familiar with the surroundings, it forces you to do some um, problem solving, both characterization and storytelling. 
um, and it makes you a better writer. Mm -hmm. So that's a quick answer. Yeah. Yeah. Edward, has that been your experience? Uh, yeah, I mean, I do a lot of ideas-based work, and of course, putting uh, those ideas into like a science fiction fantasy setting uh, is a way to sort of introduce them uh, in a way abstracted from the world, um, but also that can reconnect to the world in the end. Uh, and so uh, I started off uh, science fiction work doing mostly adaptations and finding sort of the core, like, ideas behind it. And when I did Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, I was looking at like um, Philip K. Dick's thoughts about empathy and how, human empathy and how we lose it and how essential it is to the world. Um, and, um, but then you have this very, you know, noirish action-packed story to, to surround it. So it's fun and engaging while simultaneously uh, thought-provoking. Uh, so I really like that aspect of it. Um, and also I think that um, theater gives a different possibility than books or movies when you're telling uh, science fiction, because uh, by its very nature, people are used to seeing a slice of the world, right? And so there's a little more mystery that you can build into your world, I find. Uh, you know, the, uh, which I like, like the, the answers can be hinted at and can be there, um, but there's less of like the world building in, in a, uh, on stage is deliberately a world that you're asking people to fill in with their minds. Uh, so you're giving them enough so that they sense the world and feel the world and it feels like a tangible place. And, you know, all like the set and the props and all that sort of plays into that. Um, but there's also sort of an intriguing ability to, um, to, to have a little bit of extra theatricality among that to say, you know, we are, we're living in this world, but we're not necessarily going to learn how these people arrived here. And, what that history is, um, you know, there, there, there are, are sci-fi books, obviously, with some, some mystery, but I think I feel like people accept it a little bit more easily on the stage. Hmm. So maybe the fact that theater is as immediate and we're used to, like, the realism of the form, that when you start to add in something a little more fantastic, it has a different sort of impact than when you're watching a movie where you're already removed from it. Right. So I, I would argue... You know, I would argue that a movie has much more of like this demand of like because it has a photo real sense, you know, that that you, that people want to have like every moment, which is great. Uh, I, I, love, I love you know good science fiction movies, um, but there's uh, there's an innate we're in a room with actors on a stage and. And we know that there is a little bit of artifice going on. Uh, and so I think that um, what's fun to play with is the, you know, leaving slightly a little bit more out. Not so much that it's frustrating, but so much that it's like intriguing, <laughs> which is always the, the uh, you know, the, the balance you try to hit. Um, so that there's, um, 
because I think that that we're we're trained in theater to fill in with our brains the things that aren't there because we only have one scene we only you know we only setting you know at a time sometimes only one setting throughout we only have you know, a, a few of the characters in movies, you can have like a hundred characters going on. So we are, there's always that sense of a larger world beyond this, that the audience is filling in with their brains. Uh, and so, uh, so that's also something fun to play with. Yeah. Is there something about crafting the script of a sci-fi fantasy piece that, um, that you think about when you're, when you're sort of arranging the words and thinking about how to actually put that on, on the paper. Um, sure. I mean, I think that, um, one of the things I think about is the language of the world. Um, and, uh, I feel like that can be a very different language from, from play to play. Uh, and this was also, something that I noticed coming from the world of adaptation. So uh, I, when I was adapting a Vonnegut script or Ursula K. Le Guin script or Philip K. Dick script or a uh, book, I mean, into a script, uh, they all have their, their language and I wanted to have that essential uh, element. But I, I think a lot of times science fiction is about language uh, to an extent which is why that uh, some of my favorite science fiction pieces ha- create their own words, create their own, like, you know, uh, alien or future language that they mix into the uh, world that they've created. Um, Cause it gives a flavor of what that world is. Uh, so I feel like language is a very important element of world building in science fiction. Since um, theater is so language based, I particularly uh, focus on that. Yeah, I, I guess same question. When you're thinking about taking science fiction fantasy ideas, is there something specific about those genres that affects the way that you write? Maybe the way that you describe things or the way that you approach putting it into a script? Well, I mean, I think once again, it's more about the story and the characters and why you're going to put those characters and that story on an alien planet as opposed to the past or the present or in a futuristic world. And certain stories, I think, um, are best told outside of the present and in the future. I mean, you can do some, and it's also, once again, is what you're going, are you going to be doing an absurdist or, I mean, a horror, sci-fi horror? Um, There's so many different ways of telling a story and what you want to explore. And sometimes it's best served outside of the norm if um, that's sort of making sense. Um, and I just sort of gravitate to sci-fi and fantasy because normal life is kind of boring. <laughs> and I think I learned a little more about living in the present day by being outside of the present day sometimes, if that's sort of a um, self-serving aspect. But yeah, short short answer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I guess once you have this now, you've you've found a story that you like. You've um, you've you're, you've told it well on the page. You found a, a new spin. You found a new voice for it. Now, once you have it, I, there might be a preconception or a misconception that science fiction fantasy subject matter can be a hard sell to producers in theater. Have either of you found the the genres to be maybe easier 
because they're so different or are they harder in some ways because um, just because they are doing something that people think of as non-traditional for theater? Uh, Edward, did have you had, having written a number of these pieces, have you found that the production end of it has been more challenging? Um, I, uh, I remember when I was first doing, uh, uh, which was about over 10 years ago now, uh, science fiction work, um, there was definitely an attitude of science fiction being sort of, you know, uh, the lesser genre or, you know, not really so, so, you know, so theatrical, et cetera. But I, I really do think there's been a change and the, like the interest that sprung up as soon as like more and more people started to do science fiction. I think the, the, that um, a lot of people will have realized that there's a bit of a hunger for it and uh, a real interest in it. Um, and so, uh, so that's, you know, and, that, and that's what I found when I was doing it is that um, actually the... They, we were able to bring in people into the theater that weren't necessarily regular theater goers, but had an interest in science fiction. Um, and they were very excited to be there and to see science fiction. And I think that um, producers have slowly begun to recognize that, uh, is that um, is that there really is an audience and a younger audience, which is was something that they that a lot of producers are seeking out, um, uh, that will respond to science fiction work. Uh, so I think that, I think the attitude has very much changed over the last decade. Michael, have you had similar experiences or what have you found in trying to get these plays produced? Yeah. I mean, once again, um, you know, in the, uh, artistic directors and look, are looking at, um, what's going to go up on stage, you know, they get a lot of, um, pigeon sink plays and this style of plays. And if you can separate yourself um, even though it may be the same sort of story, if you put it outside of the norm, let's say, that I think it makes it a little more attractive. But also you have to be aware of um, production costs and stuff like that. Sometimes with science fiction and such, there can be a little more um, costumes involved or theatrical aspects if it's smoke or lights or whatever. So from a writing standpoint, you can't have a big spaceship come down or zombies and stuff. That's in it. it requires so much makeup. It's going to be... Um, counterintuitive for somebody that you know want to spend that much money on costumes and stuff, particularly some of the smaller black boxes. Where if you're lucky enough at a, sm a larger regional theater, they may have the money to do some of the bigger effects. So that's one of the issues with the, that genre, I think. Is um, but otherwise, yeah, I think they're very receptive. And I think also with the pandemic and stuff, people are going to be a little more receptive because they're going to be looking for a little more entertainment rather than a little more reality. I think. Hmm. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Interesting. Okay, I'd like to uh, shift into horror a little bit. It seems like theater theater uh, has a lot to say about thrillers, and there can be some crossover between uh, once a thriller goes too far, maybe it becomes horror. It, are there subgenres or types of horror that you think work particularly well in theater? Uh, Mike, we can start with you. If there's if there's something about horror and that kind of fear and violence, if there's a certain form of it that theater takes well to. Um, I think it's tough to do violence well on stage um, because the actors really, I mean, there's a point where the adrenaline can take over and it's, and there's always that 
sketchy point where it's you have to hold back and I think the audience can kind of tell that it's not real. So like in my pieces, I always say that it's some kind of uh, um, an ant fight, uh, you know, in our, and so it's it's never really realistic. I tend to do horror um, and fighting and violence very absurdist. Um, I just, and that's just my nature. I've been in some accidents and stuff. And so I don't gravitate to the, the blood. Um, that's the other thing too, is if it's really violent, you know, we don't, we're not going to spray pig, pig, no, excuse me, pig's blood all over the stage these days like they did back whenever. Um, but I like the creepy um, sense because I think people can pick up that, on that in the audience. So it's more of um, oh, a psychological kind of creepiness that I gravitate towards. And once again, like I was saying, is it'll be interesting to see how horror plays out post-pandemic. Um, I know that in London, they've got the London Horror Fest coming up um, in October. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how just how horror plays out post-pandemic. So maybe the um, the emotional parts, the the fear-inducing is something that yeah, if you go theater over, could do. I think when you go over the gross, it's sort of like almost Tarantino-esque. Right? It's so bloody so that it, it just um, almost becomes character and not real. And, but it, I guess it has its use in certain things. <laughs> yeah. I, and, um, I mean, to your point, that's the sort of thing that if you are using pig's blood or even if it's corn syrup or something, uh, that's significantly more work between shows to reset mm -hmm. and to clean. Yeah. yeah. Edward, have you found that, um, there, there are aspects of horror that do work well for you or, or aspects that don't that you try to avoid? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it is very hard to get like a stab fest, but that's, I don't think that's um, the sort of horror I necessarily am drawn to anyway. I'm drawn to more psychological horror. Um, I will say somebody pulled off something that I don't know if it was very effective. <laughs> I don't know what I feel about it, uh, but um, uh, they uh, they were fully able to get disgust going because they had a bucket full of actual maggots on stage. <laughs> and uh, this setup where like there was, there was a backdrop to the show that was being uh, project live projected onto the back of the stage. Uh, and basically like, you know, things were being put on it variously and it became like the backdrop. And at one point they were like at a meal and there was like, food there and then like this handful of maggots dropped onto the uh <laughs> thing and they were projected g gigantically onto the uh onto the backdrop live um and i was like that is a new ability to create a feeling of disgust in the theater that i have never experienced before <laughs> yeah did that did it work for you? Like, it seems like something like that maybe can can break immersion or can make you <laughs> like worried about your shoes when you're not really worried about your shoes when you go to the theater. Well, I did notice that from the beginning, the air projection area was like enclosed in like plexiglass. <laughs> I was wondering what was going on with that. Um, and so they, like, it was pretty separated. I didn't think it was going to hit me or anything. Um, but there was like, 
I don't know, a sort of horrified fascination that it all, that it sort of took over the, the thing. And and part of what happened was that they cleaned off the maggots, but one or two remained. And so, like, even through, like, later in the show, you would see, like, one crawl across the... <laughs> I wasn't sure if they decided that was fine or that was just what they could manage. Um, so I, 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 I had very mixed feelings about the whole thing. Uh there's like, you know, there's there because you are in live theater and there's a reality about what's going on and there are actual maggots not far from you. <laughs> um, you know, so there's like the yeah, I was effective and yet I wasn't sure what I thought. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's that fine line because like you're still thinking about it, you still talk about it, but was it actually the effect that that they wanted you to have. I don't know. It's, it's a yeah. good question, I think. <laughs> so I wonder about, um, with something like horror and trying to inspire fear, when you write this down, cause I think about the craft of this sort of thing, do you make the script look a specific way in order to have fear? Like, I wonder if there are, if there are writing techniques or even just like formatting techniques that helped to convey this sort of atmosphere, this fear to a potential producer or just a reader. Uh, Edward, have you, have you experimented with that at all? Like strange formatting because of the subject matter? You know, I haven't, and I would like to more. I, 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 you know, I've thought about formatting scripts more. I tend to be a relatively conservative formatter because I've gotten too much feedback that like, you know, theaters like, you know, very, you know, some certain theaters like very standard formatting, you know. Um, but I also am sort of convinced and, and perhaps have not had the courage of my convictions to try this, that you'll also, there, there'll be a subgroup of people who will get really intrigued with an interestingly formatted play. Um, so I like the idea. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm working with a graphic novelist to take uh, and my I did an adaptation of uh, Iphigenia and all this, and we are publishing it as a play, but with a like with with a, uh, a lot of his illustrations and like graphically enhanced, and it's a very particular thing. Um, and uh, I love being able to do that. I love making the like the script itself an object that's that's an intriguing object object um i just i just haven't tried it with most of my scripts as much mm -hmm. michael have you experimented with your with your formatting uh to to enhance some of these subject matters not at all because I, I i like um edward was saying is you know there's a specific format like a reader wants and sometimes if you try and get to glossy and fancy that can put them immediately off if they haven't if they're not familiar with how you're trying to set up the um performance and how the script is going the way it's presented is going to translate on stage then it may put them off so much that they'll just put the script down and not even try and wade through it you know 12 point font times new Rome, and blah 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 um i think changing um the printing stuff works really well in hard copies um, for, you know, novels and graphic novels and things like that. I think it's a touchy, it's a little touchy when you're trying to present something initially to an initial reader. Um, you know, we want it to black, you don't want purple coloring and things like that. It's just straightforward 
this is what the character says, this is what the character does, and leave it at that. And then you can worry if it gets accepted, if they want to see more, you can explain what you're thinking of doing and why that script needs to be presented this way to the actors and stuff. Um, but otherwise, it's pretty straightforward. So, yeah. Well, as we wrap up here, I guess my my final question for the both of you is if there is a, a playwright listening that is working on and getting ready to start a um, science fiction, fantasy, horror play, do you have advice, maybe business advice or craft advice uh, that we haven't talked about already that you might leave them with as they sort of think about how to explore this? Uh, Michael, do you? Do you have advice for aspiring science fiction, fantasy, horror playwrights? Yeah, once again, I think it all comes down to the characterization, or the characters and the story. It's not necessarily where it happens, unless where if literally if space and time affect the story. If and when you put those characters if in on a, um, a space station, why they're there and how the space station affects their story. Otherwise, you know, put it on a put it on the Titanic and have the boat sink, you know, and you can translate the Titanic as the space station, you know, and, and that kind of thing. But otherwise, um, and then one of the best things you can do is just listen to people talk. Is from a playwright standpoint, be quiet, go to a, go to a bar and don't say anything, and just listen to people talk, um, and just write, and eventually you'll get there. And just be you know diligent and, and keep doing it. Edward, do you have do you have advice for folks? Um, I guess there are a few, a few things. You know, I've worked with a few different like uh, types of work, and you know, when I do puppetry, when I do opera, when I do all, often one the question is is why is this puppetry? Why is this opera? Why is this? And so that's, I think the same question happen, has to happen. Why is this story a science fiction story for you? Why is this the theme that you want to tell this way? Uh, but the other thing I think um, is that uh, some of the, you know, less exciting science fiction work I've seen uh, starts at a premise and ends at a premise. And um, that is, a premise is not enough for a play. Um, you need to like have a depth to the characters. You need to have, you know, um, a, a com complexity to the story. I mean, it depends on how long it is, obviously. But if you're writing a full length play, then you need a, a full, you know, uh, full length worth of material. Um, and I think that uh, there can be a certain thing, and I think this is this. This can happen in science fiction outside of theater as well, where um, somebody comes up with an idea, which is a really cool idea or interesting idea. Um, um, but honestly, a lot of ideas that are cool or interesting have already come up in one way or another before. And then they're like, Let's, I'm just going to write that. And it's just going to be the premise, you know, and then we'll just everyone will be drawn because of the idea. But that's, it's not enough. You have to, you have actors on stage who have to like portray something. So I think that, you know, uh, make sure that you are rigorous with yourself in terms of what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you both. Uh, so if, if folks want to know more about you, want to reach out, want to follow you on social media or see your works, uh, where can they find you? Uh, Edward, where are you online? 
<laughs> well, uh, my theater company is untitledtheater.com, and my own website is edwardeinhorn.com. Uh, and you'll see all the information about me, the, the show that's coming up in August, which is also on demand, streaming, all those things. Um, uh, and then, yeah, you can just follow it to the various links. Michael, where can people find you? Uh, pretty much just my website, mthomascooper.com. Otherwise, I'm kind of in the shadows <laughs> and uh, don't do a lot of twittering and whatnot. So, website. Fantastic. Thank you both very much for coming on. I really appreciate your Thank time. You. Thank, Thank you. Our theme song is Candy, licensed from the band Ketza, ketzamusic.com. Additional information can be found in our show notes and over at actualstorypodcasting.com. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.